0: hello and welcome to this our next episode of the thank you and Goodnight podcast i'm emily and i'm julia and today we're talking about love him or hate him everyone's favorite mr mazel joel mazel On today's episode, you're going to hear a lot from us about his relationships with individuals like his parents, his relationship with Midge, his relationship with Penny and May, and him himself like we've done with all of our other characters so far. And fair warning for all of you listening at home who don't know our biases, Julia is definitely Team Joel, so get excited to hear her fangirl. It's going to happen
1: and it's going to be in full force because I love this man. (laughs)
0: So sit back and enjoy our next episode as we talk about the marvelous Mr. Maisel. So I think the first place we should start with Joel is the same first place we started with Midge because we had talked about a key relationship in everyone's life. The first key relationship, really, in a lot of ways, is the one with your parents. And as we kind of hinted in the Midge episode, Joel and his parents have interesting relationships. To
1: say the least.
0: Let's just put it like that. And his relationship with his dad and his relationship with his mom are also very different beasts. So I think we should start with First of all, is he a mother's boy or not? I mean, I think he's definitely a mama's boy. Um,
1: Like, that much is evident. Um, And I think one of the reasons why I specifically say this is because you can really see how at odds he is with his father at all possible times. Um, Like, when he's at Maisel and Roth, um, I feel like there's a constant push and pull between Joel and Moish. Also, I just feel like they're drastically different characters in the sense that Moish is very work centric and Joel kind of has a similar sort of drive, but he doesn't have the passion his father has for the garment industry. And so I feel like
0: that kind of puts
1: them at odds a little bit, you know what I mean? Um, Just that kind of internal tension. But aside from that, I feel like they just fundamentally clash on what they expect from life because it seems like Joel has these wild fantasies of doing more and Moish is perfectly content sticking to his routine. I mean, every day he's up and around at 5 a.m., even on Saturdays. And so I just feel like there's kind of this less of a need in Joel's character to hold on to a routine like his father does and live a little bit
0: more dangerously. I definitely agree with you. I think he's more like his mother than he is his father. But I think the most interesting thing for me going off of what you're saying, there is even though he's constantly pushing back on his father, he is constantly helping his dad. Like they are, as much as they are the odd couple in a lot of ways, they're together. They are a team, right? You know, Moish says, I should have gotten a Roth. He does. His son is a Roth. Is his partner in a lot of ways and pushes him to do things like get a bank account and stop taking loans from the secret loans book and all of those various things that he totally disagrees with in a lot of different and unique ways. And I agree with you. I think they're fundamentally different people who want different things out of life. But the thing that's most interesting to me is like we see him constantly dropping everything to go run and help his mom. You know, he'll take the calls in the bar. And he'll do whatever Shirley needs him to do. And he very clearly loves his mother. And I think he would say, I, I definitely am closer with my mother than I am with my father. But I think looking at the way that the show has shown us so far, he is deeply in a relationship with his father. And he's close and they do share, if not if not a worldview and truly not a this is the industry I want to do view. They definitely share this I have a goal and I have a vision of what my life is supposed to be, whatever that vision of life is supposed to be and both of them have gone after it right like Moish tells us you know he didn't want to be his dad selling pickles on the street in a push cart right so he created this factory right that's what he tells it. Moish did all of that, raised his kid the way he wanted his kid raised has now gone out in Queens with Shirley and the two of them are happy as happy as as happy as anybody could be torturing the Weissmans into eternity. Um i <laughs> uh, I have comments, but we'll save those for the Weissman's episodes um, but like he's got this is my worldview, and his worldview is I live by this routine and Joel's worldview is i think different it's I want to open a club, I want to do something of my own it's that similar kind of drive it's just for a different purpose and a different end, and I think that for Joel, he's realizing there is a routine to his life it's taking care of his kids and supporting his ex wife and trying to move on with someone else because he's aware that what they had in the past, he's never going to get back. Right. And so it's time to move on.
1: Right. No, I mean, I definitely agree that there was a lot of enterprising and entrepreneurial nature of Joel Maisel's character, for sure. But I think one of the things to consider as well, and the fact that he's such a mama's boy is... You know, when we see him at home, for instance, when he moves back home after his st- stint of moving out with Midge, living across the street with Penny Pan, you know, basically the same life but Methodist, um, and then, you know, ending up at home, Shirley really seems to be the one who's the big caregiver, the one who's constantly babying Joel. Um, And and taking care of Joel. And so I also kind of have to wonder if this is why he has certain perspectives of women that he has, if that makes sense. Because his mother really allows him to um, sit back and just kind of, like, take it easy in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, And doesn't have too high of an expectation for him. And in a sense, I think that's both... A good and a bad thing for him because he really sets high expectations for himself and wants more than the kind of cookie cutter life that he's always lived but at the same time it's also like he probably has the similar expectation that a woman in his life is going to you know do what he needs them to do for him at all possible times Um, and I think Shirley kind of enables that, and that might be potentially why we see, at least in the outside of his interactions with Midge in the pilot episode, why they are the way that they are. Um, so he can, you know, maintain some semblance of, you know, being the man in the house, and it's come through his roots of being enabled by his family, um, but but I feel like that kind of is something that, you know, breeds a little bit of this kind of sense of toxic masculinity from his mother's end, because she she really, you know, he's a mama's boy, and he really allows Shirley
0: to, to take care of him in that sense. No, I think that's interesting. And I definitely think that there's something to be said for, and as we've discussed before, right, like they grew up in different households with different marriages, but... I think it's also interesting to look at the nature of the way his parents either coddled or didn't or took care of him or didn't or the passivity of certain individuals in that household. Shirley is very – for all that Shirley does to keep the household running, she's very passive, right? Like she doesn't – we don't see her make a lot of decisions about anything. Right? Aside from the finances, how she accounts, how she does okay, her bookkeeping. Aside, aside from the the special loans book and where they hide the secret money with her little maps and the fact that half of her accounting <laughs> system is in an ancient Aramaic, I will grant you that. But like even then, it was probably like Moish needed help and he's like, surely do this for me. And then it got to a point where he's like, why did I even ask for that? Right? Like It's clear he doesn't use what she does. He just pays whoever comes to like audit them off like that's clear like it's it's not even like what she does is really that helpful (laughs) I mean that's anyway but my point being like there's this like I and I think that that's kind of this idea maybe that Joel had right like women his mother took care of him right his mother took care of his father there's a level of passivity right like things happen and you just go along with it or you do what you can below the surface to support it right And I I think that that's kind of a different relationship than what you see in the Weissman household. Like, even though Rose is acting as if Abe's the one making a lot of the decisions, there's no illusion in that household that Rose is passive. Right? If anything, Abe is far more passive in what we've seen than Rose is. Right? He's just kind of there. And everybody lets him believe he's in charge and he can go run the roof from, right. you know, run. I still control this house. I'm just doing it from in here. You've, you've never controlled the house. And they're totally letting you believe that. But like, even he knows that he doesn't really control that house. Right. I mean, he's he, in he, his place. He knows his place. And he knows his place is saying, yes, whatever you want, Rose. Like, he he knows that. <laughs> um to a certain extent I think he knows that deep down and so I think I think Joel didn't have that kind of thing of like there is more involved here than just yes steering which is what I think in a lot of ways Shirley does to Moish and certainly to your point what she does to Joel whatever you need Joel I will do and so I think Joel's expectation certainly of a mother I think bare minimum would be to do what Shirley did for him and I wonder how much of that plays into, I need something different, what he says to Midge. Because what we know of Midge as a parent before everything that happens doesn't seem like she's a radically different parent than what she is after the divorce, if that makes any sense. Like, right. I'm not, I, I'm not getting into her parenting. I'm not criticizing her parenting or anything. I'm just saying it seems like from what we see in the pilot, she does give the baby and her older son, Ethan, over to her parents a lot to watch. She does, yeah. Like, that does that does seem a thing. And, like, I don't think Shirley ever would have done that with Joel.
1: No, I, I, I don't think so either. And I feel like that is a fundamentally different choice of parenting between the two of them. But I also feel like this is an interesting point that you bring up when he talks about needing something different. Maybe it was his expectations of how he was raised and versus how you know, they now are pursuing parenting. Um, To me, it seems like there is kind of also this push and pull of their parenting styles. Um, And again, this is not to criticize Midge in any way, shape, or form, right? Of course, like, the show would not work if Midge was not a self-sufficient woman pursuing a comedy career. But with that said midge also does kind of take a step back from the parenting role and is very willing to hand hand ethan and esther off to either grandma rose or grandma shirley it doesn't matter um both of the above were were a good choice but we also see later on that joel is really stepping into the role of a father and and being a good father um and is really there loving and supporting and nurturing his kids Whereas Midge is kind of taking the more independent role and is not really there for the children. Um, But of course, how could she be when she's going on tour with Shy Baldwin? So that's naturally understandable. But at the same time, now it makes me think, you know, maybe we can kind of compare in this situation if we're looking at the Maisels. Midge to Moish in the fact that Moish is very work oriented and driven and more focused on his career... Um, And Joel to Shirley in the sense that he's more sensitive, more concerned about the kids, more worried about their upbringing and willing to look after them. Um, And I think this kind of is a good natural offshoot of the way he was raised, particularly by his mother perpetually babying him. I mean, the way he loves these kids is just like unparalleled. You can easily see how much he loves his children and how much he wants to work on being a good father and being there for them.
0: Right. And I don't want to get too far into the conversation about are they good parents or not. I think, but I do think part of the reason why we have this conversation and why everybody's so critical and mom-shamey is we don't have examples on television of women fulfilling the traditionally masculine father-like role, right? No one on television really criticizes male fathers who do their jobs and go off and leave the kids with the mom all day, right? Because our... Our societal view of how child rearing works is that women raise the kids, dads go earn the money. And I feel like part of the reason why this is such a hot button issue with the show is it's the first really successfully critically acclaimed show that openly subverts that. Like this show, very clearly, Rose, or not Rose, sorry, Midge goes out and makes the money and does the father like thing, and Joel is at home with the kids, right? And, like, everybody within the show's universe is like, whoa, that's a radical thing. I mean, to a certain extent. I don't think either set of grandparents really bats an eye at it, which I think is an interesting thing and we might get back to in a second back to is how he was raised kind of thing. But, like, you know, the friend she makes on tour played by the, the wonderful Lisa Vile. Um, who's like, you know, people don't bat an eye when a dad does this and everybody's radically shocked when a man does, I think is so true. And I think that's why there's this mom shaming and this dad shaming involved. Now, that said, I definitely also think that there are genuine grounds to complain about both of their parenting, just as I think there were genuine grounds to complain about the parenting of Rose and Abe and Moish and Shirley. Like, I don't think any of these parents on the show are perfectly blameless people. And I'm not saying... I'm not saying if you have a genuine parenting criticism, I I don't necessarily think it's, you know, valid or anything. I, to that point though, about, I think Joel, I think Joel, as much as he loves his dad and doesn't want to admit he's like his dad and does everything he possibly can to not be like his dad, is very much his father. With the exception of, I think he, to your point, is consciously choosing to parent like Shirley. I think he knows what his dad did to him. I think he knows how he was raised. I think he recognizes in some small way the trauma he has. And I think he's choosing to be more like his mother who, yes, is overbearing and, yes, smothering. And there's a lot you can say about Shirley, but the thing you can definitely say about Shirley is she loves him and has always done her best for him as much as she can. And whether that's a good best or a bad best is debatable, but it it was what she could do and what she did at the time. And I think he's implementing that just as much as i think to a certain extent midge is parenting her kids like her mother did her right like i i don't i think as much as midge thinks she was like her mother and tried to implement and copy her mother i think she kept that idea of parenting Right. This idea of like loving and supportive, but also very much like we're doing this at this time and this at this time is exampled, I think, most brilliantly in that conversation when uh, they're on the phone and Midge is in Miami and Joel and the kids are back in New York and her parents are in Florida. And they have this conversation about you should bring the kids down. They're not going to get the cat skills. They they have to have this routine and all of these things and all of these friends and all of these social things. And, like, for Midge, every time we hear her talking about the kids, right, it's the schedule. It's knowing where the toys are. It's making sure that they have their social life planned out. It's all of these things that in a lot of ways is super practical and detail-oriented and I imagine is how Rose raised Midge, right? right? You have a play date here. We take you here. You have this. These are the people you can talk with. These are the people who can babysit you. All of that, right? But where we hear Joel is like, no, I can bring them to do this fun thing and I can give them this experience and I can do this with them. And no, they don't have to have a perfectly set order. They're five and younger. Like, they'll be totally fine if we don't go to the Catskills. They're not going to remember, right? Like, or they don't need to go to Miami. They'd rather go to the game. They're five, right? Like, it's this understanding of them as people and them as individuals that. Are not saying that Midge doesn't have that. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, it's a different way of approaching the parenting. Midge is like, if I have everything practically in place, then it makes it easier for them and they can have a nice time and enjoy things. And Joel comes at it from a no, let's start with experience and love, which I think is how Shirley raised him.
1: I agree. I mean, it definitely seems that way to me, too. Um, and, you know, just to this end very quickly, um, because we we need to wrap up this conversation, I feel like, honestly, it, it says a lot just generally speaking about their upbringing and where they come from and what their roots are and what their expectations are based on the way that their parents have chosen to raise them. Now, naturally, um, again, you know, there is that question of good parent, bad parent, um, but In every situation, every parenting style has its flaws, right? You're not going to make everyone happy, but I think they're doing the best that they can as parents and really are trying, given their circumstances, to make things work because they really are dealt a bunch of trials and tribulations within their relationship. and one of the things to consider as well is that single parenting is not easy, um, or co-parenting rather, um, mm-hmm. you know, where you have a, a friendship sort of situation, but you're not really continuing the relationship in a way that is normal or what would be considered stable, I suppose. Well,
0: and they spent most of the first season hardly talking. That's true. Right. That's the other thing is there's this evolution in this post romantic relationship relationship as mitch is continuing to change what she's doing for her comedy career and where she's living and who she's you know working with there's also been this drastic change in in how much access they've had with one another that's true um yeah so when you fundamentally
1: see the dynamic shift and there becomes a level of comfort that's there of course then the relationship with the parenting is going to evolve as well um so i just think that there are a lot of factors that go into this um, and, and a lot of the criticism on the parenting style seems generally unfair, um, but at the very least we can say that they're working on it and Joel is definitely doing his best given the circumstances between, you know, working his job and starting this, this club um, to also be there to love and support his children at the same time and, and try and make fundamental parenting decisions for them.
0: And with that, I think it's time for us to transition. Okay, as much as we hate the fact that every television show can be boiled down to romantic triangles and plot lines, at the core, everyone who watches a TV show does get invested in relationships. So I think the next place for us to go is to talk about the three relationships we see. There's Joel and Penny. There's Joel and Midge, and there's Joel and May. And I say that specifically because I think that there's kind of this continuum of women that we see him in relationships with and a continuum of relationships. And I personally see it on that line. But because I know your team, Midge and Joel, I'm going to let you start on this question. Go ahead. Okay. Um.
1: So this is like my moment to shine, clearly. It's what I've been waiting all of my what, three seasons of Maisel four, I suppose. Um, <laughs> I kind of want to start off with the way that Midge and Joel's relationship seems at the outset. Um, and I have I know I've mentioned this before, but everything seems so perfect. Things seem so right in their relationship. They seem to have everything together.
0: You know, Archie and I thought you were a great couple.
1: Exactly. Um, and, and so it seems pretty watertight but couples are really good at masking their issues. That's the other thing. And so I generally have to wonder how long this was actually eating at Joel, you know, how perfect his life was, how perfect Midge was, um, and how frustrating it is for him because he realizes how flawed of a human being he is, and he's never um, going to meet the level of
0: perfection that is Midge Maisel can Um, I just say I have one unanswered question from the pilot that still is bothering me and it's to your point here how long was the affair yeah that's what I want to know too seriously it's long enough that Penny Pan gets emotionally attached
1: yeah well to me at first I thought he was lying at like the very first thought I had was he's lying he's just not happy in his relationship like the reason why he said this is because he just Bombed, and he's feeling very self-conscious and he feels like he can't make her happy because, you know, one of the first things he says, uh, like in a flashback that we see uh, when they're dancing together, and I don't remember particularly what episode it is, but but they're together at a some sort of college dance. Um, and Midge is with another man, so you probably you you probably know the sequence I'm referring to at this point. I
0: think it's in the last episode of the first season. It might be, but yeah. I'm not. I'm um, I'm not sure. And if I'm wrong, I'm cutting this out. <laughs> <laughs> but fair. But
1: um, so Joel says, "I made you laugh," and he goes, "I always want to make you laugh," or something like that, along those lines. And so. You know, you can see how fundamentally important it is for him to be funny, to have this role where he can make his wife, or then at the time, his love interest, um, laugh or smile or keep her happy or, you know, whatever. And It felt like a moment of vulnerability or weakness that night that he bombed, no one was laughing, everything was going awful. His joke about Ted the Moth, which was Midge's joke, fell totally flat because it was only funny when she did it. Um, And so I think he kind of had this realization that night. And that's that's why I thought he was lying at the outset. Now, of course, we know that he wasn't lying, that he did actually blow up Midge's life because he was, in fact, having an affair. But I, too, would love to know how long that was ongoing because to what end was he unhappy and for how long and for what reason was he unhappy in his relationship with Midge aside from the perfection that we see. Well, now,
0: I think... I think, to your point, and maybe this is just how I've read the character as the characters evolved, I didn't at the time see it as a lie, and I, I I don't think I think for all of Joel's faults and flaws, I don't think maliciousness is one of them. There are a lot of people I could see in the Maisel universe lying about something like that. He's not one of them. And I mean, like in terms of like his vulnerability, And his sensitivity and his awareness, I think, of other people, he screams people pleaser, right? As much as he wants to strike out and do these things on his own, right? He takes a job with his uncle because really he doesn't want to work for his dad, but he wants to make his dad happy he wants to make his mother happy so he'll drop everything and do everything for his mother. All he wants to do is make Midge happy. He's tried desperately to make his in-laws happy. He's he he cons he makes he tries to make Archie happy and Archie's life easier. He he's just desperate. I think he says I'm desperate to be forgiven, right? I just want to be forgiven at in, in that episode, the Um Kippur episode in the second season, when he gets drunk, right? I just want to be forgiven. I think he just wants to make people happy. And I think what might have started other than like my life is a lie and here's this perfect woman I'm married to and I'm never, ever going to measure up and his unawareness of the fact that like, no, it's an act and no one's ever actually perfect. I, I almost wonder if he realized I'm, I'm not making her happy. And so he self-sabotaged because he knew I'm never going to, I'm not enough to make her happy. But if I do something like this, then it gives her the reason to leave me. And maybe it's not conscious, maybe it's a subconscious decision, but but I think it's interesting you said you thought it was a lie designed to like out of this moment of vulnerability. I see it to me as like this ultimate vulnerability and sensitivity kind of causing this issue. And so I don't know how long the affair was and I'd really like to know because Penny Pan is clearly emotionally attached before they move in together, which would imply to me either woman really is as dumb as a Brillo pad, which is totally fine. A valid way you could read this and they slept together one time and she thought it was like a relationship or because I mean that is a way you could read this I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not
1: that's how I want to read it honestly <laughs> I, I want to give no greetings
0: to Penny Pan <laughs> you can read it that way but as dumb as she is I don't think she would have read that much more into a married man sleeping with her if it wasn't if it was clear or there weren't signs that it wasn't something other than just an... Af- you know what I mean? Like, woman's wh- dumb as Brillo Brilla pad, but, like, she's angry enough at the end of the first season when she thinks he's gone back to Midge. that Wait, That she- reads that reads to me a person who has genuinely believed that this was a relationship and that it was a lie to her the whole time
1: totally but i think also what plays into that factor is you know it might not have started off as anything serious like it might have just been you know this little fling extramarital affair but then like it seemed to me to become more serious when he started living with Penny Pan uh, and bringing the kids around Penny Pan because that displays kind of a different dynamic but Midge and Joel at that point were already separated too that's the other thing so it's like at the same time did it begin that serious or was it just a one night fling like extramarital affair that he threw in Midge's face after he bombed because he was feeling guilty. And to your point, Penny Pan is as dumb as a Brillo pad, quote unquote, the show. But or, you know, was there actually something there that was consistent that he was leading her on to believe something was there that was more um, and then she really took it seriously. Hence why she went into Midge's work
0: and started, you know, yelling at her. Um, right, which I I hate to say, I'm sympathetic in any way, shape, or form to Penny Pan because I'm 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 not really I'm, but I definitely think somewhere along the lines the lines got crossed because there clearly was enough of a relationship there that when Midge says no, I'm not trying again in the third episode, he immediately goes to Penny, and that's the only reason why part of me wonders. Is it a character who's too dumb and too young to realize she was being played with? Or did he do something? And is that a reflection of the fact that he doesn't know what he's doing? Like, the thing that astounds me is the whole, like, once we get to know the Joel, we know by the end of the third season, it's like, how did this Joel do that? Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that in a sense of, like, like, he is clearly a womanizer. Like, we've seen it in the Catskills. We see it in the way that he tries to seduce may in his cute bumbling awkward way he's so cute <laughs> but like but my point is like he doesn't seem like the kind of person who would do that to any person he was trying to sleep with no you exactly. know like he doesn't seem like the kind of person who could compartmentalize that which is why i'm almost wondering if like in his bumbling idiot kind of way of trying to have an affair he didn't know how to separate an affair from a relationship
1: yeah, I mean, that's also totally possible. That's that's very, you know, typical in situations like that where, you know, it's hard to separate the sexual chemistry from the romantic feelings, especially when all you know is how to be in a relationship. And, of course, a married man, all a married man knows is how to be in a relationship. Um, so it would kind of make sense in, in that respect. But also, you know just in terms of the type of person he is it it really you brought up an interesting point about how we see him in season three how could this man do this womanizing i find it hard to believe like i feel like there's some character inconsistency here because we do acknowledge and realize and see what a good person joel mazel is so that's what's kind of so frustrating about this and to a lot of people's who are listening who are very anti-Joel yes he messed up big time he took advantage he did not appreciate what he had in his life and he was very quick to dismiss it but I don't think that makes him you know irredeemable um I think he acknowledges that he messed up. And like when he got drunk in the second season Yom Kippur episode and talks about wanting to be forgiven, you can see how important it is for him and his relationships to be able to do better, to be a better person and to have, you know, the respect from Midge, because ultimately in the first season, it's very evident that Midge has lost all respect for Joel. You can see that. And so At this point, it's just about building up that respect again and hopefully getting to a point where they can speak um, rationally with one another. But I also think that it's important to note that to that end within the second season, we really see Midge starting to come around um, with that phone call in Paris, which I always bring up because that for me is the turning point in the relationship where we're like, okay, Joel is really a good person he loves her so much and you know this love is definitely unparalleled between the two of them and they want each other they want to find their way back to each other but it's not appropriate for them to be with one another because of what happened Um, but you know just the way he's telling her that she's going to be okay that he loves her but he can't you know stand to be the part of her jokes anymore and as long as you know she's doing comedy he can't be with her i think that's a fundamental you know huge step in their relationship um in you know and a testament to how much he respects and admires her and he just wants her to respect him the same way and i think he misunderstands the respect she has for him and which is why he potentially walks out in the first place because he feels like a joke when he you know, totally bombs his set. He doesn't feel like he's adequate doesn't meet her standards, you know and and
0: ultimately, that can lead to disrespect in a relationship. Um, I think that's an interesting point you're 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 hitting on, right? Like the he feels like a joke thing and maybe he's misunderstanding her respect. I'm almost wondering if she's bad at communicating that because it's the same way her mother feels. And, like, that's clear in that fight in 3-8, like, the whole, I, I, I don't understand why it's funny to talk about your parents on stage to hear people laugh at their mistakes and their misfortunes, right? Like, fundamentally, Rose is saying, like, you're making a mockery of me, and, and I don't know how to live with that, and I don't know how to understand that. And that is what Joel is saying. Like, this career makes a mockery of me. I can't be a joke. Like, I, and she goes, you are not a joke. And he's like, what's the difference? In that phone in that phone call, right? Like it's it. He's function. He's saying functionally, like, what's the difference? And I'm wondering if if that's you know. I know that this is the Joel episode, so I don't want to get too much into, into Midge. And but I'm wondering if there's a through line there that like he is expecting a communication from her of respect or love or appreciation that comes through in a different way than she's able to communicate it. And maybe that goes back to his relationship with his parents. Maybe that's what he's seeking in a relationship with Penny Pan. He clearly expects support and, like, a supportive respect, which is what she gives him with the sets until she realizes he's stealing it and all of that. Um, but it's not like it's a it's, – it's a jaded and kind of – it's a grudging respect when you think about the fact that, like, for him to have been included in her set is – means you're a part of her life that that's Mm -hmm. she lives her life on stage so to be made the butt of a joke you aren't a joke you're not a joke to her the relationship's not a joke to her what happens in her life has to be for her to survive it and to live it Mm -hmm. and i'm wondering if there's this crossing of his expectation with what she actually communicates because this is also not the first time we see that in the show and so I'm, I'm going to let it go back to you. But I think that that's an interesting point there. And I think that might be why he seeks out May and Penny, who the one thing I think they have in common, other than the fact that they're not Mitch, um, is they're both weirdly supportive and like openly in their own way supportive, right? I mean, Penny Pan is like your traditional housewife kind of supportive, right? And clearly that kind of relationship and that kind of passivity is not something Joel wants because... He leaves that very quickly, separate from Midge, right? He thinks he's never getting back together with Midge at the point he leaves Penny, and he's like, I just, I can't. Now, that might be partially because his parents looked at him and went, what are you doing? And it might partially because society went, dude, seriously, what are you doing? But like, he decided that he was not going to do it, and he he was leaving Penny. But she was supportive in a traditional kind of supportive way. May is not the weak passivity support, but she is clearly supportive, right? She helps get the liquor license. She brings in the toilet paper. She does what she has to do in order to get his club up and running, right? She's supportive of the dream, And by the time he gets to May, after going through Midge and realizing what it means to be with a strong, independent woman, and like, I need to back off and respect you, and after he goes through his own weird freaking out phase, because that is what he does, and he is a man of his time, and misogyny always rears its ugly head, because toxic masculinity is an evil that needs to be destroyed, you know, he does kind of come back around to appreciative of what she's done and of her support, and he apologizes for it, which he I think learns in a lot of ways because of his relationship with Mitch. But anyway, I, I, I think support is something that he really needs because of his sensitivity and his vulnerability. Like the one thing we've seen on the show with the really vulnerable characters, the characters who show the most vulnerability, are the ones who need the most support. Mitch is vulnerable in a lot of ways. She needs Susie. She needs Joel. She needs her parents, right? She needs someone there for her. Joel shows his vulnerability and oftentimes he isn't necessarily seen having someone there, right? Abe is vulnerable and sensitive and we constantly see him being bolstered by Rose and vice versa. When Rose has her moments of vulnerability, Abe is right there and there's always someone there for Midge and there hardly ever is for Joel. And I think, I I, I don't know, I think that is a long-winded way of saying I think he sought out in these other relationships a kind of support he may not have necessarily felt. And maybe that's what he means by, I need something else, right? I need a different life. Because I think that's an interesting conversation to have, right? They have this spite. Did he actually go and leave and live a different life, or did he just move across the street?
1: Right. Now, I have to wonder, you know, to to the end of May, because I feel like we need to unpack May a little bit before we kind of get into this idea of, did he just move across the street, or, you know, did he... You know, was he living a totally different life? Um, to the to the extent of May, you brought up how she like brings the toilet paper and she gets the liquor license and she you know gets like the the jukebox and does all these like sweet little gestures you know to help advance the plumber the the plumber that's right like she does all these sweet things to help advance the objectives of the Button Club but you know. When you say support seems to be Joel's love language, I agree. But I fundamentally fail to see the difference between the type of support that May offers and the type of support that Midge was offering. May and Midge are 100% the same type of person. So I think he at least has come to terms with the fact that maybe this is the type of support he needs, albeit it's not something he- Oh, I agree with you.
0: Definitely, like, while they were married, support. I'm talking about the current version, post-marriage relationship support.
1: Right, no, and I I agree with you, but I feel like at the time that he was married, if this makes sense, it didn't seem like that type of support was enough. He probably needed some other type of affirmation from Midge for him to know that he was being supportive. And now he's kind of receiving the exact same with May, which is why it struck me. I was like, okay, so Joel is now at least acknowledging that this is the type of woman he needs to be with, that he is very much willing to... Um, take on a strong-willed woman who is willing to get stuff done for him, who is willing to offer that type of support. Um, and that type of support is indeed love. So I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, this relationship with May is going to make him come more to terms with the fact that, you know, Midge was or is the person he needs and he'll do whatever it takes to get back to her um now obviously that's just like the team joel person in me being really optimistic about them getting together again but i feel like at some point he's going to have to confront this issue because we've already seen a little bit about may and midge going at it with one another very briefly in the button club about may saying she's going to be a doctor and midge saying she's you know on tour with Shy Baldwin, she's a comic, blah, 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 I feel like there's going to be some sort of interesting tension between the two of them, especially because, you know, May is kind of just a carbon copy of Midge, but Asian. Um, so we're we're kind of seeing, you know, this this parallel between the two of them. And maybe this is the reckoning that Joel has that this is the type of woman he needs to be with.
0: Well, and I think that's to the fundamental question. I do think he's moved across the street. Like, I I think he tried. I think he's genuinely tried living the different life. I I think, I think Midge is wrong when she says that. Like. Penny Pan is moving across the street. I mean, geographically, sure. He picked up and copied their life in terms of, like, the trappings of it and the location of it. But fundamentally, he chose a different kind of partner, right? He chose a more traditional partner, a more kind of in the vein of his mother kind of partner. Um, And a traditional housewife in, like, the 1950s chauvinistic expectation of the world. I I think that genuinely was trying a different life. I think May is moving across the street. I think he's picked... I mean, May is a different person coming from a different cultural background, and I'd love to know more about May and who she is and her parents and her relationship with her parents and her relationship with her friends and all of these different aspects that, you know, I know we'll eventually get hints of. She is a supporting player on a very big ensemble, so I understand there's a limited amount of time. Like, we don't even know that much about, like, Rose and Abe. You know history, so I'm aware that like there are a lot of blocks that like all need to be filled in, and I'm I'm not greedy, um. I mean I am, but I'm I'm aware that I'm greedy, but like I think it's interesting. Separate from she comes from a very different culture than Midge did, and comes from a very different set of cultural expectations, and is doing while something in the vein of Midge, right? The only woman in a male-dominated field is also a very different field. Mm Um, I think. It's interesting noting all of those differences, to your point, they are functionally similar in how they express love, how they express support, in the fact that they challenge him, in the fact that they force him into being a different and better person, and make him grow as an individual, and are a team, they want to be a team, I help you, you help me, it's the very much the way that it reads, and like a much more I don't want to say modern relationship because there were those relationships obviously back in that period of time, but like it isn't the relationship we think of when we think of that era. And so I think I feel like May, to your point, is really moving across the street. But we are running pretty late into our runtime here. So I think it's time to transition out of Joel and his love life into one of our other topics. As much as I know it pains you. Rip <laughs>
1: Okay, Okay, so... Our final topic is Joel's relationship to comedy. Now, we find this particularly interesting because there are so many historical players that are tying into this, and I know that Emily and I are both absolutely itching to have a little bit more context and a little bit more um, insight into what Joel's relationship is to comedy, i.e. where he got his beginnings, how he got into comedy in the first place, and kind of what allowed him to even think that he was funny because he really is kind of this anti-funny character on the show so emily if you want to go ahead and take it away please be my guest
0: yeah, so in line with our other historically oriented or larger conversation questions, I think one of the more interesting things for me looking at the show structurally is how Joel plays the like straight man role. So, you know, in a traditional comedy setup for those who aren't necessarily familiar with comedy terminology and tropes, you know, you normally have one plays it down the middle, straight-line kind of character and everybody around him has eccentricities or foibles or comedic things. And Really, during the 1950s era, you see a lot of that kind of comedy, right? Particularly with screwball comedy. You either have everybody's cuckoo lander, to use a, another comedy trope, or, you know, you have a straight man and you have the people around him. And it's interesting, given the fact that we see him imitate Bob Newhart, who kind of had a similar, you know, deadpan, straight kind of comedy style, Um Literally to the point that he you know, steals from Bob Newhart. this see, structurally, Joel is basically the straight man on Maisel. Now, in a lot of ways, Rose plays a similar function. But I would make the argument, and this is why I consider Joel the straight man of the main six in the ensemble. Him, Susie, um, Midge, Rose, and Abe. He's the only one we don't ever really see with an eccentricity, i.e. breaking down in the street. <laughs> It'll never not be funny. (laughs) Right. Right? Like he doesn't he's funny, but he doesn't get these larger moments where he gets to do these things. Right. He doesn't get a breakdown in the boardroom or a breakdown in the temple or a breakdown in the street. Right. You know, she's sarcastic and dry. So is he. But he then doesn't get to, you know, scream at Shirley, which honestly, I feel like justice for Joel. He needs to be able to scream at his mother seriously he needs it
1: i can't imagine asp please give us a fight between joel
0: and shirley please we beg (laughs) like i'm just gonna put a pin in that conversation but man boy needs that but he plays this very like He moderates everyone around him, right? But he moderates his parents, he moderates Midge, he moderates his in-laws, right? Like, everyone around him gets to do fun things while he just, you know, is carrying a lot of the weight of the show on him, like, dramatically, dramaturgically. Um, And that kind of is one of the interesting things about the comedies of the time, is that that's kind of one of the sitcom structures, was kind of this, like, you know, leading man in a straight role while he had, you know, the crazy wife, or the crazy neighbors, or... You know, all of these different takes on it. Obviously, there are different comedies from that era. But, you know, I I think it's interesting how formulaically, you know, Joel just doesn't like steal within the context of the show from Bob Newhart. Like, formulaically, he's stealing from those comedians of the time. And it's just one of the interesting ways, intentionally or not, in the show's structure, you see this melding of, like, the original era it's taking place in and the current era of the show and the form of the show. Which, of course, noting he steals from Bob Newhart, as we have multiple times now, leads us into all of the different real comedians we get name-checked in this show. There's Bob Newhart. There's Lenny Bruce. There's Mom's Mabley. There is another one. I'm trying to think. Who else? There's another one I'm blanking on. And the internet's... The internet's going to kill me for not knowing it. This is
1: embarrassing, but it's fine.
0: (laughs) (sighs) But, like, they name-check all these real comedians. And I think it's interesting that of all of the comedians that they name-check, other than Bob Newhart, who he steals from, the only one he has any interaction with is Lenny Bruce. And he is Midge's introduction to Lenny Bruce. That's true. And, you know, before I get into the Lenny Bruce aspect...
1: I kind of want to talk about Joel as a straight man and, you know, kind of how I feel like a lot of this impacts his likability, right? We've already gotten into the fact that he was a total asshole and he royally screwed up his life, right? But at the same time, I also have to wonder, because a lot of the other characters on the show, at least within the core six, are funny and Joel has no element of humor aside from his total deadpan. We just see him constantly brooding um, and hating his life and messing up and trying to get his feet on the ground and um, pining after his ex-wife. Um, I feel like that in turn sort of impacts his likability on the show and God bless poor Michael Zegan for being called lonesome time and time again and what have you, etc. I feel like people take to heart the fact that in a show, which is meant to be largely a comedy, he is the aspect which is unfunny, and and that definitely kind of derails, I guess, the comedic um, uptick of the show. Now, to the end of this, you know, being a period piece in which we name drop so many different comedians like Bob Newhart, Lenny Bruce, Moms Mabley, etc., I really have always fundamentally wondered why Joel had been so into comedy in the first place. Is it because he realizes how unfunny he is, and so he has been striving to be someone that he's not to take a different turn on his life? Or was it something else in his life that influenced his comedy interests? Now, we know that Joel took Midge on a date to a cabaret club, I guess, um, to see Lenny Bruce, you know, perform his his stand-up act. And so I think it's interesting kind of how Joel is the one who really gives Midge her introduction to Lenny Bruce, but ultimately is not the one who is able to, you know rub elbows with Lenny
0: Bruce. Is that the right phrase? I don't know. Um, no, I, I definitely okay. get what you're saying and I, I do think it's interesting that I, I think in two in two separate and distinct periods, Midge is introduced to comedy because of Joel in this weird way, the gift of Midge's comedy really is given to her by Joel. Because the first thing we see is this exposure to Lenny Bruce, right? And the fact that clearly a large part of their courtship are going to see these comedians, right? He takes her to the COPA for their anniversary to see a comedian, right? Like, before the split, it's he who's introduced her to this world. And I think... I think you make an interesting point. Is it because he isn't funny and he wants to get better or is it he wanted to do it? He knows he's not enough, but maybe thinks that just being in this world is enough to give his soul what he would have gotten if he was the one on stage. And we know it's not enough because it becomes clear in the pilot. It's not enough. But, I, you know, as somebody who is totally not dramatically or acting or any of the fine arts talented, I love theater, like theater theater as you know, and as these people are about to find out, is like, I, I I will go see anything just because being in that room and seeing it feeds my soul. Like the creativity of it and the art of it feeds me. And I'm wondering if that's a similar thing for Joel. Joel knows he's not good enough to get up there and do it, but he wants it anyway. He needs it anyway. And so I, I think that that's an interesting point you make there. And then obviously the second gift of comedy is Midge gets up and does her first set when he dumps her. And I think, I, I think that's also interesting, right? Here's, here is someone who is so much better than he is at what I think he's always wanted to do his whole life, really. And I think that's interesting. Why did that man want to go into comedy? It's a very good question we don't have answered. But here's this dream that he's had that he can't do. But here's this woman he introduced to it who can. And I'm wondering if as the show goes forward and Midge becomes more and more successful in it, he's already very proud of Midge. Like clearly, right? Like telling the date he's with when she's doing the telephone, that's my wife. Right, like sticking up for her at the Yom Kippur dinner, I've seen her, she's good. Right, like he's incredibly That bar proud that of her bar- brawl at the gaslight after the fact from the, the bar- from the Hecklers. Where he when he punches the out of the guy. Right, like He's done all of these things to be incredibly proud and incredibly supportive. And I'm wondering if, as the show goes forward, if he's going to see more and more of her success in a small way as his – Not saying that it is, but saying, I'm wondering if like the same sense of like he had to be around these comedians, it's why he's opening this club, if that's going to carry over into his relationship with Midge.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a good chance that it will carry over into his relationship uh, with Midge. Um, And I feel like he has always kind of envied her in a way. and, and, And I'm sure like to this end, like he's known that she's funny. He's known that she's good. It didn't just come out of the blue, right? She didn't just randomly start being funny when she got drunk after Joel left her and got up on stage and that was the the end of it she's she's probably always been funny and he's probably always admired that but also envied that because you know she could successfully live his dream and i think maybe he realized that at the outset too but i think just in terms of midge being on the up and up and then the rise of her career um i have to wonder as well now that joel has started the button club if his relationship with Midge is going to do anything to the Button Club's success because as Midge continues to rise to stardom, of course her connections are going to grow and expand and become, you know, infinite compared to what Joel could ever possibly have. So I'm wondering, you know, to the end that he is always supported and he's even, you know, as they're co-parenting and now are kind of friends, um, if... There is going to be some support that comes from her in the way of his enterprising uh, in which he books comedy gigs at his club and ultimately makes this little, you know, dive
0: in the middle of of Chinatown like a, a successful venture. Which I also think it'd be interesting to see what kinds of comedians the show chooses to book or not book. Because here's another place where the show really does populate the world with comedians. Like they use real names. And I think that would be an interesting thing to see. Who does Joel get? What is the level of Joel's success? I think you could really easily place by naming a real comedian. Like, what is the level? And I would wonder, given the Lenny Bruce connection, particularly as we get later and later into what will be really Lenny Bruce's unfortunate demise, if if almost in a way of repaying Lenny Bruce for what he did to help bring her back from career death. If Joel becomes a part of that, because, and I just say this in terms of like a full circle kind of thing, right? Like Joel introducing Midge to Lenny, Lenny saving Midge. It would, it would be a full circle kind of moment if Lenny becomes involved in Joel's enterprise in a way that helps him.
1: I I mean, I desperately want to see that because I feel like Lenny Bruce was so formative in, Midge and Joel's relationship just generally speaking that now it kind of would have an element of um, natural transition for Joel to sort of develop a relationship with Lenny Bruce. Um, Obviously not like the one that Midge has with Lenny Bruce because there's undeniably some sort of sexual tension um, from Lenny to Midge, um, but I don't necessarily know if it's reciprocated. But... To the end of Joel's relationship with Lenny, I would love to just see them, you know, interact in some way, shape, or form, see if Midge will book him at the button club, and then kind of have them speak, because I feel like there's so much that they can unpack with one another, and I would love, honestly, to see a very real, down-to-earth conversation between Joel and Lenny, kind of about you know, when he and Midge were dating and they went to see Lenny, um, perform, um, because I feel like that would kind of open up the backstory a little bit more and put into perspective some things in terms of Lenny's relationship with Midge and Joel's relationship between the two of them, because we clearly see we can have a perfect triangle here, not necessarily a love triangle, but something that is well-rounded and holistic that we, we have kind of a, the roots for a relationship there between the three of them that, you know, could patch up Midge and Joel or make things make sense within their relationship as friends or or what have you. Um, So it would be really interesting kind of just to see a development between Joel and Lenny Bruce as some sort of, like, um friendship, especially when we know that, you know, as Midge's career is continuing to rise, Lenny Bruce's is... is falling and falling and falling and falling and it's already been alluded to by ASP um so there's no way it's like it's inevitable we know it's going to happen but I'm wondering if there's some way that we can just see a glimmer of hope for Lenny Bruce in in his potential relationship with Joel
0: the one thing I will say before we wrap up here because we're getting definitely close to the hour time for this podcast for the day is I think one of the interesting challenges that the current Shooting and filming environment we are in has created for this show, which is known for its thousands of people involved in every level of the production, is the fact that clearly you can't fit 850 people in an airplane hangar anymore. And so, what I would like personally to see them do in response is to fill in some of these gaps that are missing with the people that they do have on the canvas. Because to my earlier point about there's stuff we don't know about May, there's stuff we don't know about Joel. There's stuff we don't know about Lenny and the way that this universe of Maisel is dealing with money. There are a ton of stuff we don't know about Rosemary. You know, it'll be interesting to see, given the current environment, how they're going to address the fact that the show does have to structurally change. And so I personally, to that point, kind of would be interested in seeing them filling in the gaps because you, you can with the people you have on campus, you know. I don't know. I clearly don't write the show. <laughs> um, Although we wish I, we
1: could because we have some very interesting fan
0: theories. Um, which we may or may not address later as, the show, as this podcast continues. But anyway, I, I think, to your point, the three of them have this interconnected web that the show has laid down but hasn't explored. And it'd be interesting to explore it. So with that, we're going to wrap up here. Tune in next time when we discuss everyone's favorite papa, A. Weissman.
1: It'll be really interesting. Um, we have a lot of thoughts about his political beliefs. So we're going to tackle
0: that and all that it is. In all of his two-sweater-wearing glory. <laughs> in the meantime, please follow us on social media. On both Instagram and Twitter, we're at A N D. GN pod and on Twitter individually I'm at the Weissman and I'm at Mazelus. neither one of us are Mrs. Maisel
1: thank Thank you you and good night. night